This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. The Bible speaks of different kinds of prayer. Both Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible indicates that there are different types of prayer. And, uh, and, and James chapter 5 and verse 16, the last part of the verse says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That means prayer works when you pray effectively. The word effectual means effective. So if you can pray effectively to get results, that means you can pray ineffectively and fail to get results. So we're talking about praying effectively, how to get your prayers answered. But now, the church world, by and large, it seems to me, you judge it for yourself, but it seems to me that most of the church world seems to think that all prayer is the same. And as such, if all prayer is the same, or since in their opinion all prayer is the same, then it's all governed by the same rules. And so they'll take uh, one example particularly, one example seems to be mo- mentioned more often than anything else, and that's when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the example that he used or the example that the Bible gives us of his prayer in Gethsemane is, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, your will be done. And so, by and large, the church world seems to take that principle, if it be your will, and apply that to every area of prayer. The problem with that is, the Bible says that you can't receive from God except you ask in faith. And it's impossible to ask in faith if you don't already know what the will of God is. You can't get anything from God by praying, Lord, if it be your will. The prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane is not where he's praying and asking for something from God. He's committing himself. He's consecrating himself to God's plan. He's saying very clearly, he's saying, now now my will would be to do this another way. I think he's not only turning away from the the physical uh, suffering of the cross. I think he's turning away from what he knows he's going to have to be separated from God to pay the price for spiritual death. I think that's what he's turning away from. And he's very clearly saying, Now, Father, if there's any other way for us to accomplish your your purpose, let's do it another way. But if this is the only way that it can be done, I submit myself to your will. He's not asking God for anything. He's committing himself and consecrating himself to the will of God for his life. So, therefore, we're not talking about rules or steps that govern every prayer. We're talking about certain steps, four specific steps, that govern you receiving something from God. Again, Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane was not asking God for anything. He's just simply saying, now, if there's another way to do this, I would prefer that. But if this is the only way, if me going to the cross, if me being made spiritual death for, for eternal life, if that's what's necessary and being separated from you, then, then okay, I'm, I commit myself to that. But if you, that, but by and large, that's not the prayer that you pray most often. You and I generally pray prayers to receive something from God so that we get ourselves out of the mess that we're in, so that God comes through for us, so that we see the, re- the, the, the blessings that the Word of God says are ours come to pass in our lives. That's the kind of prayer we're talking about, and that's called the prayer of faith. So John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus is talking about this kind of prayer. And He said, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you. Now notice the first thing He does is qualify it. First thing he does is qualified. He's going to make an outstanding statement at the end of the verse. But the first thing that he says has to do with the qualifications, the criteria. He said, number one, if you abide in me. So prayer is based on relationship. Receiving from God is based on a relationship with your heavenly father. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the believer. He's talking to the children of God. If you abide in me, number one. Number two, and if my words abide in you. Now, folks, that right there, if you stopped right there, that explains why most of the church world does not get answers to their prayers. 
They meet criteria number one. They meet the first qualification. They're in Him. They're children of God. But that's not the only part of it. The second qualification is just as important, and that is, and if my words abide or live on in you, then, here's the answer, here's the promise, then you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, please notice that verse 7, John chapter 15 and verse 7, does not say one word about the will of God. Now, when I say that, when I make that statement, people, it turns some people off. Because they think, oh, the very idea. They're talking about praying against the will of God. No, we're not. Not saying that at all. How can you know you're praying according to the will of God? If you meet the second qualification. If the word is living on in you, then you're going to ask according to his will because you've already found the word that says so. God's word is his will. I had somebody tell me not too long ago, they said, you know, I don't like the way you talk. Well, I, I thought he was talking accent. I didn't know he was talking doctrine. I thought he was talking, you know, accent. And so anyway, he said, I don't like the way you talk. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, uh, he said, it's like you make the word of God, God himself. <laughs> and I said, yeah, and what's your point? He said, it's like you exalt the Bible as much as God. And I said, are you aware of what John 1, 1 says? Well, he batted his eyes a little bit at me and said, no. And I said, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Folks, if you can find the Word of God that says something, if you can find what the Word of God says about a situation, you've found God's will. You've found His will, you've found His purpose, you've found what He thinks about it. It's the same as Jesus appearing to you and saying, here's what I, here's what I think. Or here's what I want. The Word of God is the Word of God. You can't separate God from His Word. So in John 15, 7, Jesus talking about getting answers to prayer. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. God's not worried about you asking for outlandish things if the Word of God is abiding in you. Because if the Word of God is abiding in you, you're living according to His will. The secret is to pray the Word. You pray the word and you are praying God's word back to him. You are saying, now, Father, here's what you said. So, the key to the word, the key to getting your prayers answered is based in the word. Notice in verse 8, John chapter 15 and verse 8, it says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, we could talk in a lot of different religious contexts about bearing fruit and doing good things and doing good works and stuff like that. But the context that this is talking about is very simply this. God's glorified when your prayers get answered. That's the fruit that He wants you to bear. It's not the only fruit that we should bear in our Christian life, but that is a very important area of fruit that God wants you to bring forth, and that is answered prayer. He wants you to get answers from Him. Herein, getting your prayers answered, is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Folks, I would submit to you that the church world at large is not bearing a lot of prayer fruit. At least they certainly aren't by the, by the, the, the polls that are taken. You, the, the, the most recent polls where people are asked, Christians are asked, do you believe in prayer? Oh yeah, everybody says they believe in prayer. Have you ever got one answered? Man, those numbers shoot down immediately. 100% of Christians say, yeah, I believe in prayer. About 20% of them have ever got a prayer answered that they can point to and say, yeah, I know God answered my prayer here. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not what Jesus is talking about. So, let's talk about those four steps again. Let's go through the first two real quickly. We've uh, gone through those the last two weeks. Number one, decide. Here's the first step to answer prayer. Praying the prayer of faith. 
Decide what you want from God. And find the Scriptures that promise you those things. Then the second part of that, still part of the first step, but an ancillary part of that step is meditate on those Scriptures and get them down on the inside of you so you can be ready to use them against the devil when he comes because he will come at you. Nobody has ever prayed a prayer of faith, the prayer of faith, without the devil trying to attack them in the middle of that prayer. So you're going to have to be prepared. Get those scriptures down on the inside of you. Be ready to use them against the devil when he comes. Step number two, we talked about that last week. Ask God for the things that you desire and believe that you receive them when you pray. Now look with me over to Mark chapter 11. I think I told you to turn there already. Mark chapter 11, Jesus explaining the principle of faith and the prayer of faith said, as a result of cursing the fig tree, the disciples see it the next morning, the fig tree's dried up from the roots. Jesus answers and says unto them in verse 22, Mark eleven twenty-two. he said, have faith in God. Another translation says, have the faith of God. We can extrapolate from that. If it's the faith of God, then it's the God kind of faith. It's the same principle that God used when he created the earth. He looked into the darkness and said, like be. He spoke what he desired to come forth. Jesus says, do the same thing that God did. Verse 23, how do you do that? For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say. So faith must have something to do with saying. First thing Jesus mentions in relation to this subject of faith is what you say. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Must be believing in your heart. If he's telling you not to doubt in your heart, he must be telling you to believe in your heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, then he shall have whatsoever he saith. Very simply, the principle of faith is believe in the heart and say with the mouth and you'll have what you say. That's what Jesus said. Now, Jesus did not say that it's only for a select few. He said, whosoever shall say, which means it applies and belongs to everybody. Anybody can operate the prayer of faith. However, I want you to notice that verse 23 says not one word about praying. He's talking in verse 23 about the principle of faith. The principle of faith is to believe in your heart and say with your mouth. Verse 24 tells you how it works in prayer. Therefore, because these things are true in verse 23, therefore I say unto you, verse 24, what things soever you desire. Again, he's talking about your desires just like he did in John chapter 15. He's talking about your desires, not God's desires. What things soever you desire when you pray. Now, when always has to do with time. He's telling you what to do when you pray. When you pray, or during the time that you pray, in other words, believe that you receive them, meaning the things that you desire, and you shall have them. We talked a little bit about this last week, and we encourage you, if you weren't here, to get the, get a hold of the message. Because it's a, it's a very important thing. It's a very important distinction that the Bible makes between believing you receive and having. Believing you receive has to do with believing based on God's Word things that you cannot yet naturally see. The end result of that, if you believe that you receive when you pray, then the end result is you'll have them. In other words, you'll see them. They'll come to to pass in a way that you'll be able to see them. So that's step number two. Ask God for the things that you desire and believe that you receive them when you pray. Now step number three is what I want to talk to you about this morning. And that is, very simply, keep your heart from doubt. Now folks... It's after step two that the prayer battle really begins. 
You'll find that the devil really won't hinder you too much when you read the Bible. When you're trying to get the Word of God and put it down on the inside of you, there's not a whole lot of resistance. There may be some thoughts that come and think, you know, that say something like, well, you don't really think that's going to work, do you? But there's not a whole lot of resistance when you're determining what the Word of God says in your situation and trying to find the Word of God to pray. Not a whole lot of resistance there. And during the time that you pray, the devil doesn't really bother you too much there either. He may bring the thought or the idea that, oh, you're wasting your time. This really isn't going to work. You don't think that you're good enough to have this or something along those lines. But in step three, after you say amen to your prayer, that's where the prayer battle really begins. Because the time between when you say amen and when you see the answer is the time that you're going to have the most trouble with the devil in any and every situation. And so step three is such a critical step Because this is where most prayer battles are either won or lost. This is where most situations, whether you receive from God or whether you fail to receive from God, is going to be in step three. And that's why it's such an important uh, issue. That's why it's such a key uh, element to having your prayers answered. And that is, again, keep your heart from doubt. Now notice again verse 23 of Mark chapter 11. Jesus is telling us about the principle of faith. He said very specifically, Whosoever shall say... Unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now here's the qualification. Here's the warning. He said, and shall not doubt in his heart. In other words, if you say it, but then you allow doubt to come into your heart, you're not going to get the answer. So he says, and shall not doubt in his heart. Here's the warning. But instead shall believe. Well, if he's talking about doubting in your heart, he's got to be talking about believing in your heart. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So again, the step number three is keep your heart from doubt. Now, there are several different things I want to talk to you about in relation to this subject, and that is this. Let every thought and desire affirm that you have what you've asked God for. Never permit a mental picture of failure to be in your mind. If doubts persist, and they will, Rebuke them, just like the Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Call them by name. Say, doubt, I rebuke you and I refuse to accept you. Destroy every image. Here's another important area. Destroy every image, every vision, every suggestion, every feeling, every thought that does not contribute to what you believe. And as I said again, folks, this is where the prayer battle is either won or lost. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. I think a lot of times we make a mistake by praying for people too quickly. Because their idea is we're going to give God a shot. But God doesn't work on shots. God works through His Word. The Bible says in Psalm 107, verse 20, it says He sent His Word and healed them. And delivered them from their destructions. He sent His Word and healed them. Not He took a shot. So the first thing we ought to do is go to the Word and remind ourselves, we may already know, but we need to remind ourselves, what does the Word say about this? You spend a day or so reminding yourself of the Word, soaking yourself back in the Word and the promises that it makes to you, then you're in a position to pray. Then you can pray with confidence. Then you can pray knowing what God's will is. Again, that's Healing School each Sunday night, led by Pastor Mike Webb at 6 p.m. For directions and more information, go to mikeweb.tv. So many times people think that God has heard them because they feel like He heard them. 
So many times people have a, an idea that God either heard them or failed to hear them, but based on what they feel. And folks, the devil affects your feelings. Second Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to see something about how the devil operates. It's an amazing thing to me how few people know how the devil really works. If you know how the devil works, if you know how he operates, then you can know where to set your defenses and how to defeat him. But so many people fail to recognize how the devil works. And folks, there's only one way the devil has to operate. The Bible tells us that. It says that the wiles of the devil literally, in the original language, the wiles of the devil means the one road the devil travels. There's only one road that he travels. Now, it seems like through circumstances, he's coming at us from every corner. That's not the case. There may be circumstances that affect us in different ways, but there's still just one road the devil travels. And the Bible tells us very specifically what that road is. Notice in verse uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, by the Holy Ghost, he said, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. He's going to tell you why people do not get saved. Now, how many of us would agree, I would assume this is everybody, but how many of us would agree that the devil works overtime to keep people from getting saved? That would have to be his number one work, his number one goal in the earth, Right? He can't do anything about the fact that Jesus provided salvation for mankind. So what does he do? He works on man's end to try to keep man from receiving salvation. Right? How does he do that? We can find out how he works against the unbeliever. We can find out how he works against you and me. Verse 4. In whom, the, in, uh, in the unbelievers in other words, in whom the God of this world, notice the Bible calls Satan the God of this world, not God. It calls Satan the God of this world. Now, that doesn't mean the world belongs to Satan. That means that he has the, the right, the legal right to operate in this world because Satan gave, or because Adam gave Satan his authority in the Garden of Eden. So that's why the Bible's called the God of this world. You got insurance policies and stuff like that that talk about acts of God. Hurricanes and, and earthquakes and things like that being acts of God. They're not acts of God our Father. They're acts of the God of this world. You go back and look at the book of Genesis, you'll find that many of the physical laws of nature were altered at the time that Adam gave his authority unto unto Satan. So Satan is the god of this world. So many Christians, bless their heart, in ignorance, say, well, I just don't understand why a loving Heavenly Father would allow these tragedies to happen. Our loving Heavenly Father didn't cause those tragedies. Well, look at all the, the people that were devastated by this earthquake or that hurricane or that tsunami or this situation or that situation. How could a loving God allow that? Folks, it wasn't a loving God that did it. It's the God of this world that was behind those things. The Bible says very specifically that Satan comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. Anything that kills is the devil. Anything that destroys is of the devil. Anything that steals, that's the devil. It's not God. So a lot of Christians, when they get to heaven, they're going to find out they've been blaming the wrong person. So it says, in whom the God of this world, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds. Do you see that? Satan blinds people's minds, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, the unbelievers, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. What's he saying? He's saying he stops people from believing by influencing their thoughts. So how do we see that the devil works? Through your thought life. That's why keeping your heart from doubt has so much to do with keeping the right thoughts in your mind and keeping the wrong thoughts out. Now let me confirm this. Paul continues to talk to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
Notice what he says about this further. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, again, by the Holy Ghost, this is the Holy Ghost speaking to us. He's telling us about what our fight is in this world. Verse 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. Now, folks, I want you to understand, he's saying, no matter what you think your problem is here in this natural realm, your problem is never a natural problem. Yeah, but Pastor Mike's sickness, physical sickness has come against my body. Your problem is not the the physical sickness. And if you try to fight in the physical sickness, if you try to fight physical sickness in a physical way, you don't have the help of God. What he's trying to get across to us is we have a spiritual answer for every natural problem. But if you try to fight natural problems with natural means, you're going to miss out on the help of God. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Well, then how do we make war? How do we fight against the devil? The Bible says fight the good fight of faith. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. He's talking to Christians, not talking about talking to the world. So there is a fight. There's a fight of faith. Well, what is that fight then? Verse 4, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural, but instead they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, this is the point where people get goofy. Because they talk about, oh, yeah, okay, we've got to fight the devil. We've got to pull down strongholds. So a lot of people think that that means, oh, we've got to pray, a special, special way to pray. Oh, you've got to intercede. You've got to scream at the devil. You've got to spend 20 days and 20 nights in prayer. You've got to do all these kinds of things, all natural things, trying to defeat a spiritual enemy. Oh, we've got to pull down strongholds. I, I know what we're going to do. Let's pray that the strongholds over our city would be brought down. Yeah, that's following the pattern of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus went into cities and found the highest place, the highest hill in town, and he broke all the power of the devil over the city. No, he didn't. Jesus went into the synagogues where the devil was. He set people free. Oh, we've got to take authority over the devil. Jesus did that by casting them out, by setting people free. You don't have to do some special prayer. Oh, Pastor Mike, I've had people tell me this. Pastor Mike, I want to come to church early and pray so that we can clear the air of all the devils so that you can have freedom to minister. I don't need you to clear the devil anywhere. The devil's not big enough to stop me from having freedom to minister. This is God's place. Now, the devil may have come in with you, but, but he doesn't live here. See, people get all kinds of goofy ideas about the devil. Oh, the devil. And all of those ideas, thoughts, are designed to make you think the devil is the big bad guy. And if we don't do something, if God doesn't move in some miraculous way, we're sunk. Folks, the babiest of the baby Christians has more power in the name of Jesus than the greatest thing the devil could ever do. There is no contest between the name of Jesus, the power that's in the name of Jesus, and the greatest thing the devil can do. Well, then why doesn't the church walk in victory? Because of what they think. So we're supposed to pull down strongholds, the weapons that we're given, spiritual weapons that we're given. They're not natural weapons. They're mighty through God, spiritual weapons, to pull down strongholds. Where do we pull down those strongholds? Verse 5, casting down imaginations. You know, the only place that the devil can create a stronghold is in your head. And that's only if you let him. 
Casting down imaginations. The word imagination means the word reasonings. It also means logical thinking. You know what's interesting about people? People think things through to such a way that it becomes logical to them. And it can be absolutely false. Casting down imaginations. Here's how you get rid of the devil's stronghold. Here's how you do away with the devil's fortress. His defensive positions. You cast down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, folks, where's the only place we get the knowledge of God from? The Word. So we could say every high thing that exalts itself against the Word. You can make that substitution and not do any injustice to the Scripture. Cast down imaginations and every high thing. You know what high means? It means proud thinking. Anytime you or I think contrary to the Word, we're operating in spiritual pride. Yeah, that's good news, huh? Every time we think something that is refuted by the Word of God, we're operating in pride saying we know more than God. Now, we don't consciously say that. I don't think any of us would consciously say that, but that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying my thought is higher, greater, more real, more true than even what the Word says. And that's what you see a lot of people doing with the with different things that uh, that belong to us, according to the Scriptures, like healing, like provision, like peace. Folks, think about this. If the devil keeps people from being saved by trying to influence their thoughts, and there's only one way that he operates, and that's through the mind, through your thought life, then what does he do against the Christian? He tries to rob you of what redemption means to you by controlling or influencing your thoughts. And you're the only one that can stop him. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought. Every thought. Every thought. Every thought. To the obedience of Christ. What's he talking about? He's saying exactly the same thing that Paul said. Look look to Romans chapter 12. If you're not familiar with this, look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul said, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove. The word prove means to determine by experience. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? He's saying you'll only experience the will of God. You'll only experience the will of God where salvation is concerned if you renew your mind to what the Bible says about Jesus going to the cross. You'll only, re- you'll only experience the blessing of God where healing is concerned if you renew your mind to what the Bible says about healing. You'll only experience the blessing of God's provision if you renew your mind to what the Bible says about what Jesus did to provide for us. The word renew, uh, renewing of the mind, the word renew means to reverse by repetition. To reverse by repetition. Now folks, this is the way that the devil tries to rob both the unbeliever and the believer. And that is to make you doubt God's word. He won't come and tell you this is doubt. He'll come give you a different idea. He'll come and give you a different thought than what the Bible says. And then he'll try to convince you that you're wise for thinking. The major condition of faith is to keep our heart from doubt. That's a very important issue, and it's something that's very simple once you understand the principles. Come join us at Foothill Family Church as we walk in faith together. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
My mother called up and said, you have to turn on the TV, you have to watch this man. Suddenly we're watching it every Sunday. It started the whole, well, maybe we should go to church. We're going to get out of our pajamas on Sunday morning and we're going to go to church. And now you can't get us to not come to church. And pastors teaching, you know, it was outstanding on television, but you were kind of shocked by how much more there was when it wasn't just the half an hour, but you know, his full message. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.